and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krall, and you're listening to episode 97 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to continue our two-part series all about Imagineering Pandora, the world of Avatar. If you didn't yet listen to part one, I encourage you to go back and take a listen to it because there is some incredible information from our special guests, Adam and Rebecca, who are former uh, Walt Disney Imagineer set designers about what it takes to enter Walt Disney Imagineering in the world today and some of the details about Walt Disney Imagineering that you might not have known before. In today's episode, we're going to have a really fun discussion about some of the specific elements of designing Flight of Passage, Navi River Journey, Satuli Canteen, Pangu Pangu, and all other aspects of Pandora, the world of Avatar. There are some incredible details and stories you might not have known before because Adam and Rebecca actually helped to bring it to life. So I am so excited for you to hear this discussion. Of course, at the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. Sorry, what were we talking about? Pandora. Oh, Pandora! Pandora. <laughs> oh, so we... the Easter eggs, the Easter eggs. Yes. Um, okay, so... Uh... I love all these, uh, these tangents make the podcast episode, by the way, so keep oh, going. Oh, I'm Because it's going to keep happening, so... Uh, yeah, the ADD is real today. No, um, no I, I, I love it. I, I, I throw my, my questions out the window at some point with every episode, so we're just we're having a fun conversation. Okay, um, so fun... So, okay, typically, and I will say this, the reason that I liked being a part of Imagineering was because I always thought it was a group of secret ninjas, like design ninjas who kind of like went and did everything. And then like nobody knew anything about it. Nobody knew how, how it got created or what was behind it. And that everything was sort of done in secret. And that's why I started there. But I will say, um, since they've done like the Imagineering story and, you know, basically since social media has sort of taken over, now it's, 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 it's very out in the open and storytelling is being sort of, it's much more accessible, which is which is a good thing, despite my chagrin. Um, and so I guess I'm okay sort of talking about these things because otherwise I actually don't know, like some of these drags are always so deep that like you just don't ever plan on, you, 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 don't, you think that no one's ever gonna even notice them at all. You just put it in because it made sense in the story that you were writing in your head. And, and th- so that goes, actually, sorry, to go all the way back to process, in terms of that, there is, I'm sorry, I'm trying. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry, it, I just gave him a look. Yeah, yeah. I could see it through the episode, through the, through the mic. <laughs> uh, in terms of process, there's usually a lot of show writing that takes place, and we'll talk more about that. But for every space, there's a someone who sits down and sort of writes all the details, like, how it came to be, who's operating it, like, and not like, like, oh, well, your typical farmer will operate this. No, no, like, they give everybody names, and, like, they, 
And they try to take these stories and at least for the opening uh, team, they will try to convey as much of the story as possible. And that's what will be in their, um, what do they call them? The manuals that you guys have. Cool. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. The binder? Yeah. Yeah, that like has like the show I don't, like, it's bad. I don't especially know um, like Jungle Cruise, like that, it's like a Bible that gets handed down um, between them. But so. Operating guy? The OG. Yeah, yeah the OG. Thank you. There um, we go. So in the, yeah, and, and so they'll take a certain amount of the show writing and give it over, and and then it and then then it becomes the cast member's story to facilitate. But so a lot of writing goes into it, and sometimes you include all the little details, or sometimes you just sort of whisper them to them. Sometimes they're written down, sometimes they're not. But so the idea behind Pandora was right. It was post-war, like up to a thousand years, almost maybe in the future, you know, hundreds of years in the future, and. Um, and this is, you know, after the Great War had happened there. And so they wanted this whole kind of um, expat look to it, where it's like a bunch of old military surplus, but like definitely not war-torn. Like things have overgrown past the years uh, of the war. So like maybe there's, when you first walk into the land, there is a helicopter that has been grounded, or a, a scorpion, I guess, is the technical yeah, term Yeah, you almost miss it if you don't. Yeah, like, you, you're looking, it just looks like a bunch of plants around something, some sort of weird amorphous blob, and you're like, oh, wait, that's a helicopter. And that's the idea, is that nature has, has already taken back over and, and reclaimed this, uh, this area of Pandora. And so that's the idea, is that anybody, any culture that's there from the planet Earth-ish will sort of have this like like i said expat or like you know veteran style of you know almost like post vietnam kind of looking um aesthetic and then everything else needs to have this like overgrown nature has taken over conservation point of view and we'll talk more about that sort of when you get My into the lab actually built that they worked on that Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I personally did not. But fun my fun story did. about that helicopter. Brandon would kill me. Um, so, uh, which I'll get into that. But um, my story about the helicopter is we shipped in a helicopter from a military museum all the way from South Dakota. And then it got to us. Like, it came all the way from South Dakota, came to us. And then we realized it was built out of styrofoam. And, like, the guy said foam, and we thought it was, like, an industrial, like, 30 pound gel coated fiberglass reinforced foam. Like right. some, something that like museum you would, quality. Yeah. <laughs> outdoor exterior rated quality. Yeah. But this was like packing peanuts foam. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden we had to like it, it made it easy to sort of re-sculpt this um helicopter into a scorpion. But then at the same time we had to do a lot of like recoding and rebuilding on it because it was basically just a bunch of packing peanuts that had been pressed together. And I thought that, that was always a um but yeah, uh, so in the uh, in Pongu Pongu, when you look in the back of those shadow boxes, there's a few oh, different we're back things. To that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I should I should finally finish that set. You should like you should let yourself have like a segue so that he can edit together like your. Uh, no, no, no. I'm just gonna leave this. I'm gonna leave this. Go ahead. <laughs> so when you look in the back of those shadow boxes, um, one we contracted a metalwork artist who was a veteran, and he he now owns a bunch of bars uh out in um in winter park in florida like he just owns like a couple bars and 
he basically spends time operating the bars and then for fun he just welds different sculptures and he definitely has that like like military like industrial look about all of his welding and we gave him concept images from the movie of uh all the different creatures uh in pandora and then he we just had him just make sculptures and i gave him a couple sizes and we just let him go to town and then we ended up sort of you know he would make these drafts and then i'd sort of go in there and then tweak things a little bit and then um the art director um not joe somebody else um ended up liking the sculpture so much that we ended up I ended up working with him and we designed the taps for the beer. And so if you actually look at the taps for the beer uh, dispensers at, uh, um, at Pongu Pongu, they actually look like a bunch of uh, floating mountains and the other one looks like a type of blossom, but they're all made out of nuts and bolts and angle irons and rocks and uh, wire rope and aircraft cable. Wow. And so the idea is that is that we sort of got in his head about like, being a veteran and like sort of using what you have to make it. And we, we would sort of use that narrative to sort of guide, um, guide how everything was made. And then we sort of carried that aesthetic through and ended up working for the taps. But what also is in there is there's also, there's notes, there's dog tags. And then one of my favorite things that I grab that maybe not necessarily had fit with the Pandora narrative, but I thought was a fun Easter egg. So a bunch of Walt Disney imagine uh, not a bunch of Walt Disney animators also did the art for a lot of World War II um, plane insignias. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So like on the planes, like on the side of the plane, like back when I would say like Enola Day or like um, I'm trying to think of like any of the class, you know, but like basically that like classic World War II art that would go on the side of an airplane they did a bunch of that style of art and they start, they would sort of would like half incorporate, like they had a Jiminy cricket on the side of one that looked, that had like a red face instead of his like, you know, like they get away with it by like altering it a little bit. And I had digital access to some of that artwork. And so I made patches out of it. Wow. And so, and so they are these, these military patches that have, these Disney uh, animator insignias on them that are all World War II, uh, that are all themed to what not that's not right. No, it's it's the style of yeah. Well, it's in the style of World War II plane insignias. Yeah, that are in that style. And so, if you start to look through, you can start to see some of these patches, and so. You can definitely, there's like that uniquely Disney part of it, but then at the same time, like these are patches that were actually used in war. Or not patches, but this is artwork that was used in war. And so I, I wanted, I guess the idea behind doing all that was that you wanted to pull from a little bit of real and then a little bit of fantasy and sort of kind of take it and pull it all together and kind of make something fun out of it. Um, what was I going to say about the... Oh, Brandon. Um, so in terms of the actual process and everything, so it goes from, the actual process goes from writing about it and doing a ton of concept art and a ton of, you know, what's it going to be to eventually it then goes to the, des the design and design draft process. And then it starts to go into development and from development, then it goes into fabrication and everybody's starting to install everything and then operations and disposal. 
I actually was not involved in a lot of the concept process. What ended up happening was I was actually working on a bunch of Epcot projects at the time. And I had just finished, I actually just finished some work on the cruise line and um, uh, the DAC expan- uh, uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom expansion, you know, when they added, they redid the um, Festival Lion King Theater. Yes. So I had sort of just come off that and I just moved over to Epcot and I was uh, working on, I was actually a show set production manager, which basically means I take a lot of the drawings and then I go over to the vendors, the people and the construction crews that are building it. And I'm basically an intermediary between the designer and between the people building it. And I was basically sort of like, we'd have to make, we'd have to make a lot of adjustments on the fly. And because Disney moves at such a fast speed, there's many times where there might be a kiosk or a countertop or a bar or a whole, or a whole section of a design that maybe never actually got drawn and we're already halfway through building it. And so there are many times where I'd have to sit in a shop like the one like Rebecca that you worked in on my laptop completely drawing a kiosk from scratch that matched the style and look and feel of the rest of the space and um and like and I'd give it to them and then like within the next week then they'd build that and we'd throw it in it was sort of a lot of like a lot of things involve a lot of planning but because Disney is sort of careening out of control at the pace with which they make things a lot of times you're sort of redrawing things last minute um, so I was actually brought on to Pandora, um, about a, a little bit after a year before it, it opened. And so there was about a good, maybe what was it? Three years of concept work and facility work and even dredging and infrastructure work that had been going on. And I was actually working under the original set decorator for it, Brandon. Hi, Brandon, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> so Brandon, if any of you guys are big Imagineering buffs, um, Brandon is was the creative force behind Trader Sam's. And if you ever want to look him up on Instagram, it's Trader Brandon, and he has a whole spiel. And I mean, he's just like a tiki fan through and through. But um, he brought me on. We worked on Trader Sam's together. Trader, and Trader underscore Trader underscore Brandon, sorry. My apologies, Brandon. Um, We worked on Trader Sam's together. He was in charge of Trader Sam's and I was in charge of props for the rest of the Polynesian Resort and like artwork and whatnot. So he got the cool thing. My my cool thing was cool too, but like he got the really cool thing. Um, But so he he ended up doing, sitting in a lot of the initial conversations and collecting a lot of the source material and whatnot. And then he was, he was beginning his procurement process where he was starting to buy a lot of different uh, machines and items and stuff that, and, ha- and, starting, and starting the contract process or starting the design process of getting stuff designed and then he was going to go and get it contracted when he got hired by Universal. And then he went over to Universal and this was, I would say about eight to 10 months before um, Pandora was supposed to go up. And for set decorators, the last year is like the rubber hits the road time. You know, we're in crisis mode and that's when everything starts to get pulled together up until that point, especially set decorators doing mostly research and a lot of drawing. 
and um, Brandon basically left, like, and he he knew he was going to leave, and so about I was like a month before he left, he was like, "I'm going to leave." Like, I have this offer that I'm working out. He's like, "So you're going to be taking it over?" And so we actually did a really, we had a really good handoff. And so he gave me all of his materials, and he's like, "These are designs that I've sort of started." And we had at that time we had one intern working under us, and so then I grabbed two more interns and then basically a whole in, install crew, and we basically hit it into overhaul. And from that point on, we had to create a lot more designs. We basically finished out some of his designs, like the helicopter. The helicopter was the big one that he had been working on. But basically, almost all of Pongu Pongu hadn't been started. Uh, so to the canteen, he had done some of the drawings for some of the stuff inside. And then for the queue, he had everything. He had a couple items procured for the radioactive area, for the swamp area, but he had nothing for the caves. And then he had, he had about a couple items for the lab. But what he had done is he, is he had actually contacted... Um, so you know how... Animal Kingdom hat is actually like a is a conservation center. Yes. So there is a woman who uh, we actually consulted with to um, make sure that we had the right type of lab equipment and that what we were doing made um, practical sense. And he, one of the last things that he did was introduced me to her. And she was the one who then gave me like lists of all these different pieces of lab equipment to procure and where to get it and how to get it and like how to lay it out. And then she actually ended up walking through the queue with uh, our team being like, oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't store your pipettes that way. Or, oh, you would put this in this type of container and sort of working us through the logic of how a lab works. And so that's basically where I actually joined in was was I would say that I joined in past the point of a lot of the initial concepts. So a lot of the foliage had been designed already and a lot in the mountains had already started uh, being constructed and the facilities, you know, we already had the bare bones of a lot of the facilities. But so right when I started was right when all the props needed to get um, designed and conceptualized and procured. And a lot of it, um, we were pulling from existing stories that had been written, but then a lot of times the stories that had been written maybe didn't make sense with where the design was going. So we ended up having to rewrite a lot of stories on the fly to sort of make things work. One thing that we did do is we ended up adapting and then taking a bit from a lot of the characters in the lab. Um, I don't, do we want to, oh, in terms of this, in terms of talking about Pandora in general, do you want to just, should we describe the areas or I don't know how we want to talk, like, do we describe the areas and then describe what, what is in the areas or? So I think that most people listening will probably, especially those who have been, know the general, you know, overlay of the land, including the specific attractions and the I'm sure most people listening have been through the Flight of Passage queue or the, the Navi River Journey queue and then the attractions. So I guess a little less general and maybe perhaps if there's anything specific that's of interest, like what you're talking about with the lab, I think is a, a great way to go because that sure. is pr bringing to life and I can see the authenticity 
of that lab experience, having brought in someone who, who frequently works in a lab. Um, you can sort of even not having been in a lab before feel the authenticity of it. So that's incredible. Cool. Thanks, man. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, I was going to say, um, it was very interesting because in, in terms of set decoration teams, there was a whole, there was a whole area development team that basically went through and added, Rebecca, you were on, you were on the area development team working on all the, yeah, um, the lashings. About a bit. So all of the big like sculptures, woven sculptures, the big woven sculptures. So those came to us. Those were made. Um, where were they from? Uh, usually Indonesia, like Bali. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those were sent to us. We got them in big giant crates. Jakarta. Yeah, like and so we essentially um, had to install them and then finish the lashing around all of the the metal that is actually holding it the in brackets, place yeah. and all of the brackets. So those came to us mostly made, but then we had to install them and finish them. And then we had to paint them. So they had to be aged. They looked very fresh and brand new when they came to us. And that's obviously doesn't fit with the story. Yeah, right. So we had to do aging on them as well. So made them seem like they there was a lot of like, once they were already in place, going through and doing some, um, some painting, uh, which involved, you know, sometimes like the, the uh, shaman sculpture with the, who's like, she kind of has her arms out. You know, sometimes at that point in time, when I was working on this, the ground below her was not filled. So oh, yeah. she was in a big crater, essentially. <laughs> um, so, so those arms are pretty high up. Yeah. So there was actually time I was like in her arms, like her little baby painting her. Because she's metal underneath, so yeah. she's safe. Yeah, um, yeah and what they did was, um, uh, which, it was just also a very interesting little nugget. So a lot of these sculptures, um, so it's wrapped in like a Tyvek style of material, which basically, tie, if you ever see any houses ever getting uh, constructed, um, yes. the weatherproofing that then gets usually put on the plywood right before they put on the siding or the insulation. Right, right. That, that's Tyvek. That's a, you know, waterproof, almost like a paper. Kind of plastic, paper plastic. Kind yeah. Of thing. And um, a lot of paper-esque or ribbon style material is usually made out of like a PVC or like a, a Tyvek style material, which actually then involves a different, like then because it's waterproof, the type of paint that you use needs to be a little bit uh, different as well. But so the interesting part is, is that they would send these designs, the concept designers would send these designs down to, I believe that one was Jakarta. I believe yeah. a lot of them were Jakarta. And would send these designs down and these pictures of what they look like. But then the guys making them were artists themselves. And what we ended up getting back wasn't always necessarily what we ended up drawing or what we drew in the But they were cool. But yeah, they they would be cool. And so part of it was like, okay, we're getting these sculptures in. They're going to look kind of like this. And so then we're going to have to take like, and so sometimes it's like the brackets weren't in the place where they were supposed to be. And then like all of a sudden we'd have to sort of redo everything, you know, like sort of restart again to make sure that the sculpture, you know, works. Yeah. And the, um, the ones that are inside the, um, the restaurant are not that material. They are oh, yeah. a natural material. So we had to fireproof those first, yeah. which for safety reasons, obviously. And so everything outside, everything outside has been for the most part treated to inhibit, inhibit UV rays or like aging from UV rays and everything inside has is, been fireproofed. 
Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of like, we had to build a giant bath for them, basically, of fireproofing material and, and dunk them in the yeah. bath. Wow. Which is a, a sodium, for the most part, a sodium, basically. It's almost like a salt water. Very smelly. Yeah. <laughs> what a dragon. I can imagine. Uh, it's fine, but. Um, and then those were installed. Um, so I think one of the more labor-intensive things I actually had to do was um, myself and, and a few other scenic artists, we, just us, did every piece of lashing inside of the restaurant that's on the on those walls like all of the um yeah all of the was the material like garland no 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 all of the oh like the hemp the hemp like lashing that's just everywhere in that building yeah it's all over the it holds the garlands on it goes all over like we did every single piece of that by hand and it uh that was like that was like almost a month of just doing that. Well, I think a lot of people, when a lot of people think of Disney, they think of this like army of artists. No, it's just like out. a couple of us. Yeah. yeah, it's just like two people that like <laughs> don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was actually really cool. I got really good at it actually, and yeah, yeah. really fast at it too. So it was like it was actually like an interesting skill that I have I've ended up using again actually, which is interesting. Um, but that was a cool one. I also did. Um, I did all of the lashing and painting on the menu sign that's outside of the oh, yeah. um, of the restaurant. The yes, sign that has all of the it that has like it's the weatherproof. It's like the um, Tied it's up. the plastic yeah. material, and it's all lashed around the outside. Um, I did all of that. It was me and another girl did that one, um, and we also did all the same style lashing that was on the sign for it's on the sign for the gift shop as well. Oh yeah. Um, so well, a lot of like a lot of learning too. these like really like kind of intricate um, weaving and stuff that well, I had never actually done before, and that it was a new skill well, that I like I acquired for that. I remember at one point you talked about um, like so part of it was you couldn't just lash the way that like like typically if 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 you're doing like sailing or you're doing something like if you're doing something like Pirates of the Caribbean you have to lash your rope a certain way so it looks like, you know, 16th century Spanish conquistador, you know, like like a pirate. And this was more like practical. How would you have lashed to like hold these two pieces together? Well, not only that, but like also like if you were an alien, you know, if you you were the Navi. Yeah, so it was, there was a a lot that go into the tiny little things that you might not necessarily ever notice or think of that every single thing has had a ton of thought. That went into it. Well, and, go ahead. I say these are the things that I appreciate. I know a lot of people listening appreciate as well. So the next time, like I'm always looking at these details, and I think a yeah. lot of people interested in in the the what makes Disney great, the Disney parks great, are interested in the same thing. So I've noticed a lot of things you're talking about, and I'm even I've taken pictures of them, and I'm looking at them on my phone as you're talking about them. And uh, I know next time I go to Pandora, I'm going to be saying, hey, Rebecca worked on that. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. it'll be very cool to be able to say that. And it was, it was definitely like a cool experience to go there the first time that guests were there and seeing people experience the stuff that I had worked on. You know, that was this working on these projects. It's such a long process that you don't always get to see the results because you've moved on to something else you know by the time that that happens and so it was really cool to get to see people actually enjoying it um in the parks you know right after it was completed because this was a project that i worked on right up until basically opening day yeah 
Oh yeah, and then and then, and then post, you know, post opening, because um, usually it's soft opening. You know, you kind of come in and there's there's post opening notes and whatnot. It's so funny because you're like we're working on it for such a long time, and I feel like it's like I like you know in the morning when you you're awake and you blink and it's a long blink and then you open your eyes back and like a half hour's gone by and you're like ah, yes. that's what I feel about all these projects now that I'm like really it felt like it was just like a, you know I know Blink it was it yeah. was the most fun definitely the most fun project I ever had oh, um it was so much fun working on that one it was a ton of hard work it was so hot it was so exhausting so many long hours sometimes nights um but I had a blast oh one thing that maybe she won't tell you about working in a shop um <laughs> no I'll tell you there's no air conditioning yeah <laughs> That's got to be tough. <laughs> so in, in Florida, so like, like the hard part is I'm like, we're saying to these people, like, you got to go and get experience. And a great way to get experience is working in a shop. Like, for sure. Um, and the problem is, is a lot of these shops don't have air conditioning in there in Florida. And so like all of a sudden everybody's like, wait, what? <laughs> but, also, and stuff, but also, but also not, not to be like super, um, but uh, a fun fact is that most of the, so at headquarters uh, for Imagineering is really, really nice. But a lot of the satellite campuses for Imagineering, for the most part, were stuck in trailers that may or may not have air conditioning <laughs> and may or may not have been there since, you know, 1970s. And, um, I mean, it is what it is, right? It's like, you know, it's a best I mean, you were to... barely in your trailer anyway. You were working so much on site. Yeah, I guess so. You were barely ever even there. Um, you know, there were just times, though, where, like, the AC would just cut out for, like, days at a time, and, like, we just get, like, all box fans to, like, everything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I I definitely think, like, my biggest contributions to Pandora are the little things, the little things that you might not always notice. Well, uh, oh, I also did the, um, at the face painting stand, um, the sign that has all the, the examples of the different faces that you could get. Um, I didn't do the faces, but I did the, the stand that holds oh, all the faces. Right, yeah. Well, so, well, I was, I, I mean, I know you did all the lashing one up, but so one, okay, so one of the things though, if we want to get into the lab, we get into yeah, the lab. We can get yeah, let's talk about the rat, the lab. All right. So, so, oh, sorry to go back into that. So there's an area development team, which is the, basically Rebecca was on the area development team for quite some time. And well, then, additionally, we also did things inside though. So. Yes. And then there were interior teams and whatnot. And basically there was like, there was, there were, the at least props and set decoration and a lot of these other teams that were like teams that were just working in the field and teams that were just like working in the shops and some teams that were just literally sitting at their desk just designing things or um if you notice that there's a lot of graphics like almost every single container like every single thing that looks like a pelican case if you actually look at the pelican case it doesn't say it's a pelican case it says it's a stinger case or it says that it's um it basically is a type of brand. Oh, I'm like, I'm putting my hand up. Like I'm telling you a secret, but I just <laughs> can't see what I'm doing. Um, it's also like, it's going to mess up your voice. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my audio. Um, so if you look at all the Pelican cases, we bought weird looking Pelican cases, but at the same time, we ripped off the graphic that said Pelican. And then we put in the type of graphic that, that we were actually, so some of the graphics we were provided from Lightstorm, which is James Cameron's um, production company. Yeah, yeah. And then other graphics, we sort of took the Lightstorm graphic and then we sort of manipulated it. Or we took the Pelican graphic and we took a Lightstorm graphic and we sort of made a hybrid to make the Stinger case graphic that sort of was half Pelican, half, you know, Pandora-ish. And so if you look, 
almost like you'll never see brands that exist in the real world. You'll see all these fake brands. So I, I literally had a person that was just dedicated on creating these graphic files and then making sure that they get, got produced. Some of them in Tyvek, some of them printed on metal. Some of them got printed on types of plastic. Some of them he just made labels for. And, um, and, and, and basically like his full-time job was, well, he did, he did a lot of other stuff too, but, uh, for a lot of, a lot of time he spent basically just reorganizing and reformatting graphics so we could literally cover up existing brands of things that we had purchased. Um, but, um, so there was a team for the retail space and then, then there was a team dedicated to the lab. And the interesting part about that was the team that I had that was dedicated to the lab, it was obviously like a lot of, um, in the lab, there are a lot of practical props and other elements that basically make it seem like a very lived-in space, and they have to tell a very specific narrative. And um, that narrative is of uh, a set of scientists. Do we want to go into the specifics of the scientists, or? I mean, it's part of the story, so you can. I guess we can. I don't specifically remember their names, but I, I have a, I, I can go grab the, um, I, I wrote them down upstairs. Do you want to talk about, well, I'll go grab them. Do you want to talk about um, the handwriting and the books and everything? Okay. Wanna, is that yeah, okay? that's fine. Because I, I, I still love that you did, you know. Okay. Um, do you want me to talk about the patches too? Or the, um. No, we'll just talk graphics? about like all the field notes and everything. Just the field notes? Okay. Well, you can talk about graphics too. Okay. Well, um, so obviously with Adam working on this project and doing all of these props, um, I was, and I was in the land all the time. I was uh, around for a lot of stuff. And one of the uh, characters for, in the lab, um, one of the characters was supposed to be a French Canadian scientist. And uh, I am Canadian and I speak French. So they needed some French notes for her notebook um, that was going to be open on her desk. And so basically I just sat down and wrote some science notes um, in That's amazing. Uh, for, the, for her character. So um, if you look on her area of the desk, I, I mean, I assume it's still there, but I, I don't know for sure. But um, her notebook has my, has my uh, notes, my French notes. Uh, uh, Moira was Moira Thomas. Yeah, I believe yeah. Moira Thomas is the name of, of is the name of that character. Right. I'm going to be looking. I'm looking at my pictures now, and I'm going to look again when I go back. So, um, uh, okay, so so this is so this is one of so one of the most solid stories that was handed off to me uh, when I accepted uh, when I took over the project was a story of the scientist that lived in the lab, and this was something that sort of went through, I'm pretty sure everybody up to, up to Rhodey and, 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 and whatnot. But so there was Dr. Ogden, who I know that you, you know, Dr. Uh, I think everybody probably knows um, Dr. Ogden just yeah, having been on Flight Passage. Like, yeah. She's the main, the head, head scientist for the Pandora yeah, Conservation Institute. Yeah. Industry. And um, I do like that. What was it? Um, uh, and, and so Dr. Ogden, so she's got her station. And you notice that there's the book that she wrote, like she literally. Yes. Yeah. The uh, oh, I forgot the name of the book. But yes. Pandora and Botany. Pandora and Botany, right? Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> spoiler, um, when you <laughs> when you open the book, 
there is there is not um we actually did put some information in there but there's it is not nearly a whole book's worth of pandora i would imagine there'd be no reason to go into that detail <laughs> well, so so when you so when we when we procured these books like we create we had to create we had to buy like create the graphics and we had to get the books made right and so we had to go to a company that makes textbooks so the problem with that is that when we went to go order these books and we went to go get these custom books made for textbooks, they were like, well, what's in them? And we're like, nothing. And they're like, what do you mean nothing? And we're like, there's nothing, like they're empty. Like they're props. And they're like, we've never made, pro-. like, and there are companies that specifically make prop books, but usually they look old or like old Bibles or old like, you know, like dusty old pirate books or like things, you know, like in um, Enchanted Tales with Belle, Yes. When you go in and, we, and um, you know how you're in Bell's library at the end. Yes. So I, I was one of the set decorators for that. All those, all those, um, all those book. They're not complete books. They're literally just the spines of books. And we literally took a bunch of books, put them together, and would cast just the spine. So they're only about an inch deep. And so we made all these different plugs of books everywhere, and that's how we ended up saving on a lot of space. So they look like books, but really it's all just. A bunch of fake books but anyway so this we were like because people were and the thing is that you can get away with that in enchanted tales with bell because they're up high they're up 10 feet in the air so you can't really see them so you have that kind of 10 foot rule where you know uh, suspension of disbelief sort of works but so because you are right next to the glass with this pandoran botany book we went we bought we bought it from a person who, uh, from a company that makes these books and the interesting part is that they like, you have to give us some text. Like there has to be something on the pages. So there is stuff in there. Um, it just, not all of it's Pandora and botany. <laughs> Makes but, sense. Yeah. But um, so uh, Ogden, so the interesting part about Ogden was we took a lot of perspectives and we took a lot of mannerisms off of the scientist who we worked with to sort of like set up like, so we had her sort of set up that area specific to like, okay, how do you set up your lab? And so she set that she set it up how she set how she would her own lab. And so we wanted that we wanted that lab to be the most off or that section of the lab to be the most authentic. And so she sort of stepped into the shoes of Dr. Ogden to sort of set decorate that specific place. And then um each of the people, like one of them's a little bit messier, one's a little bit more organized. But then the fun part for me was that we had different imaginators and different people, like Rebecca, you were one of them, who did the handwriting, like you said. And the art director for Flight of Passage, um, Joan, she ended up doing the handwriting for Dr. Ogden. And then I believe, was it Bryce? Bryce did Brooker, Christopher Brooker. And I think, was it Krista or Katie or Amara did uh, Karen Her, And so each of them, the idea was that um, we'd give everybody the bio and we sort of give everybody the background story. And the idea is that everybody's handwriting should sort of, you know, if they're a messier person, their notes might be all over the place. Maybe they're a person who does a lot of sketches and maybe they're someone who's like good at drawing. Or like Moira, for you, Rebecca, you did all your notes in French, right? Yes. Yeah, because she was French-Canadian. Yes. And, and what we actually tried to do is we tried our best to write, 
to pre-write all the scripts and all the notes and everything. So if anyone was to read the notes, they would make sense. Like they actually It would are, be pretty hard to read them from the queue, but if you manage, yeah, they'll make sense. <laughs> well, because it's like you don't want to just write a bunch of, of nonsense. Yeah, nonsense. Like you want it to make sense, and especially like if you tell a person just write nothing, like they're like, no, like I can't remember what I wrote about. You were you geology? Yours was geology, right? I don't know. Rocks for jocks, no? Um Oh God, it's been so long. <laughs> That's okay. It's 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 very difficult to remember all the specifics. But but a, a, but a fun part about that was so. Um, but then each of them had like their own like personal little effects, right? So um, there's also a locker uh, on the other side of the room, and in that locker, you know, we grab certain items. So for instance, um, like one of them was a big baseball. Uh, one of them was a big baseball fan, so we had a baseball glove in there. And then another one um, really liked, um, they like satire. And so we grabbed, um, it was Douglas Adams. We grabbed a couple of Douglas Adams books. Yeah. Right? He's the one that did Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we grabbed um, Salmon of Doubt and a few other. Um, and then Moira's character really liked hockey, obviously. Canadian. She's Canadian. Um, of and course. So at this point in time, I had also begun my career as a freelance graphic designer, which I'm now a full-time graphic designer. That's what I do now. Um, but I had started freelancing. And so I actually got hired to do the designs for the, there's a hat and a bag that are in that locker area. Like a toboggan hat and like a, like a sports bag. Um, and on the hat, I had to kind of envision what hockey team might exist at this time that she would be a fan of because we couldn't obviously use real hockey teams so I kind of envisioned like what 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 team might she root for and so I envisioned a future in which um the the Quebec Nordiques came back into existence and what their new logo might look like and I envisioned you know, made that, that logo, it kind of combining their old logo with, um, with another Quebec hockey logo and kind of making this, this hybrid hybrid new design of what this, what this hockey team in the future would look like. And so then I made that. Um, and then there was another character who was a big fan of cricket. Yeah. And so I invented a cricket team. Um, it was like a, it was the Mumbai, the um, Mumbai Lions, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was like a, yeah. It's a, and it's so I like updated the that logo and thinking what that logo might look like in the future. That was um, so cool. Yeah, and so those logos are on the um, on the hat that's in Moira's locker, and then I believe the bag is like underneath the table. Yeah. Where's oh yes? All right, cool. Sorry, I ran away for a second. So um. I actually, so what ended up happening was we ended up creating a bunch of these, um, uh, a bunch of these like pieces of apparel and other things. We kind of populated them all over the lab. What ended up happening though, was I remember I was working on site and it got really, really cold and we had a bunch of the pieces of apparel that Cause they, got, at the beginning they hadn't decided what they were going to use. So they yeah. had ordered the logos on a bunch of different items essentially yeah um so like there's a hat and a bag and a and you know a jacket and a, a vest and a sweater and like all and all well, these it was like multiples too yeah. because like you never knew if there was like a bunch of them that were gonna hang up or like yeah. if you actually look at the um if you look at all the lab coats and whatnot 
Um, at least there were name tags on them, but now it's like every single one has a PCI, Pandora uh, Conservation Initiative, or um, certain jackets have like Mountain Banshee Project yeah. uh, custom patches on them. But so um, the Cricket one, I remember specifically about the Cricket one, um, it got very cold one time and I didn't have like a jacket or anything. And so we had this big throwaway pile of apparel that we had made for the queue that was never going to get used because the art director didn't like it. And so I ended up putting it on and I ended up, I still, I still have it. Sorry. I still have it by accident because I think I just like threw it in the back of my tr like trunk. But, um, but, the, but I'm looking at the logo now and um, what we did was we, it's Mumbai Cricket Association. Yeah. And we took the, like an Indian cricket lion logo and then we took like we created a newer like a futuristic yeah version it was a futuristic it. version like what that team might evolve their logo to look like yeah like if they did like a rebranding and whatnot but yeah so it's like all little bits like uh and pieces like that and we actually um for all of the uh for the geology section of the, the rock section i remember we went to um i had a, an intern uh i guess she was an intern maybe yeah she was an intern at the time working with us who's like really into crystals and um we went with her over to a like a spiritual crystal store and we got and then we went with the art director too and we ended up picking up a bunch of like really just weird looking um rock, like whatever the most obscure type of like non-identifiable rock that we could find and sort of putting them in these like petri dishes and other bits and pieces and it was hard too because it's like I'm sure that if you are if you are a geologist or if you are a person who um, really knows rocks, you'd be like, oh, that's you know, it, 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 there's only so much that we could find or so much that we had that we could pull. But um, but what we tried to do was, let's say we had was it bromine bromide or what's there's a there's a type of um, there's a couple types of rock that look very space age, like they. Um, they end up crystallizing very um, in geometric patterns, like cubes and like like dodecahedrons. Does that make sense? Yes. And so we tried to pick things that sort of had a natural style of geometry that, that seemed a little too perfect or a little alien. And then to disguise them a little bit more, the dishes and the containers that they're in sort of block their vision just enough so that you see kind of like bits and pieces, like you never see the whole rock, but you see maybe bits and pieces of the rock, or they're contained in a way that then just helps push the narrative that they are futuristic rocks. And then actually halfway around the lab, um, we recreated um, the space potatoes. Do you know what I'm talking about at all? Uh, I don't. Uh, so, okay, you'll know it when you, I'll, at some point I'll show you a picture, but... Um, at some point you'll know, so there's a scene in the movie, and we only do this a couple times because part of it was that we didn't want to just recreate things from the movie. We wanted things to, if, if we were ever recreating something from the movie, we wanted to make sure that it looked like it was evolved for at least 100 years past the point of the movie. But there was one item, these space potatoes, that what it is is it's these two potatoes, these Pandoran potatoes that are growing, and then there's a tube that goes between the two of them, 
and you see the vines beginning to go from one potato to the other potato for them to connect. And the idea is it shows um, the neural network that that exists in Pandora. It was sort of like a, a hearkening back to to that whole element. That makes sense. Yes. And and so it's just this tiny little thing that is actually a prop that we recreated from the movie. And the only reason that we recreated it was we thought that it was such a good symbol of why Pandora exists in Animal Kingdom that we were okay to be like, wait, is that something from the movie? Okay, why is there something from the movie here? Oh, wait a minute. It's the idea of, you know, these things are alive and they're, and everything is connected. And that's still a important part of the lessons that you learn when you're on Flight of Passage, right? Like you're, connect, you're, you're connecting with, you know, your avatar, you're um, connecting with your band. You know what I mean? Like there's all these, these are the constant themes that we're sort of playing with and whatnot. And so I, that's one of the pieces that I really like. There's also, um, um, there's, there's also a miniature, um, the, if you look, there's an experiment with a plant where it looks like maybe the plant has been burned a little bit. And we actually have a miniature flamethrower sitting next to it. And that flamethrower is actually a miniature replica of Ripley's flamethrower from Oh, Animal wow. Um, which is like, I deba- we debated, we changed it enough and changed the color scheme enough that we felt like it fit and it was miniature. But we thought that that was a fun little Easter egg um, for, you know. It's a nice Easter egg for sure. Yeah, or for Susan Sarandon. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's any other. Oh, um, <laughs> what? Just you. Oh, uh, we going on on my tangents. Why not? So, uh, an interesting thing about uh, the queue in general is also so if you start to look around, there's all these like little nooks and crannies, and when you're plotting out the queue, you know, there's a corner where all of a sudden there's all this extra space, and they don't want kids running in there, but they need something there, and they didn't know what. So maybe we put some. Um, we put some pelican cases or stinger cases. And then there was one area that was big enough that very last minute we ended up uh, sculpting a giant banshee skull. Oh, yes. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. So the crazy part about that was we literally decided to do that about a month before we opened. <laughs> like that, that choice for that giant banshee skull happened about yeah. a month before. And um, the person was literally working on it like almost night and day to make it happen. But the interesting part was, was that there was a bunch of skulls that we pulled for reference, but this one was so big and this one had so much detail that she had to study nasal passages and what she thought the correct um, uh, like, like septum and like, um, the, like how a nasal passage and how like an eye canal and everything would work for a banshee. And so part of it was like having to look up like animal anatomy and then sort of fusing it together with a bunch of things. And then also in general, um, if you look at any of the, even if you look at any of the cardboard boxes, we didn't just grab like, cause every now and then there's like a storage area that has a bunch of cardboard boxes in it. We didn't just grab cardboard boxes. We had special cardboard boxes made that say Pandora Con- conservation initiative and like have people's names on them. So that's I'm incredible. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other little Easter eggs and whatnot. Um, I mean, you you can go on forever and ever. <laughs> there, yeah. there are. I think. I think there are so many details. You guys have provided so much information about the queue that I'm going to be looking out for all of this. And I know that there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Um, probably to, to kind of wrap things up a bit. So, um, you know, and we could talk about every single project in so much detail, but I guess, you know, we've, we've given some advice and some of a, of a look into what the, um, the process is like working there, what would you say would be your, um, what you love the most about working um, at, you know, with, with Imagineering or at Imagineering in general? So for me, I know that one of the, one of the best aspects, so the reason, so the reason that I, um, the reason I joined up with Imagineering was, I, um, I was jumping around as a freelance designer in DC. And I mean, I was, I was working for pennies in terms of, um, there was a job that I got where the parking cost more than I was making. And like, so just for me to park in the parking lot and go to work, I was ending up getting charged like 75 bucks a day. And I wasn't even making that. And I, so I decided at some point I was like, I can't, I need to find a, a livable wage. And so that's what attracted me to Disney at, at the very beginning is I had been a few times and I was like, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I grew up in the nineties. So of course I loved like every single Disney movie and, you know, was obsessed with like Genie as a kid. And, um, you know, like, Disney had a, a, a very influential impact on how I grew up, but at the same time, the biggest reason why I ended up gravitating to Disney wasn't that I had a commitment to the brand. For me, it was a commitment to story and a commitment to quality. And it was something that they really, really, when I joined up, really pushed, you know, commitment to quality and a commitment to story. Um, I had been, I've been lectured at by Joe Rody three times in my existence. Every, and it's always like, it was always a time where I was setting something up, uh, a, a bunch of set decoration and he'd come over and he'd ask a question and I'd be like, you don't like what I'm doing. Like, I can just tell that you don't like it. And he, and he, and he'd always be like, it's not that it's just, let's go back to story. And we'd always kind of like talk through the history of it. And that's why I, that's why I joined up was that it was like a great place to tell story and make people really think about a lot of stuff. But the reason that I stuck around for, for over seven years was the people. Um, I have worked now in a few different industries. I've worked in the theater industry. I've worked in themed entertainment. And now I work for a company that designs and builds museums. So I, my, that's my job is I do like visitor centers for like national park services and Smithsonian and museums and stuff like that. Right. And um, not knocking them, but uh, you will never find people more dedicated and people who are willing to like chop off their right arm if it will somehow serve the design. And I guess that's why I'm a big proponent of, of hiring people from Disney. And mind you, I mean, in every job you're ever going to do, there's politics and there might be people that you may get along with, may not get along with. And there may be times where tension gets really, really tough and, and, you know, 
stakes get really high, but the dedication that people have to storytelling at Disney is, um, is not only commendable, but, um, but I, I don't know that I'll ever, I don't know that I'll ever work with people like I did at Disney. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, I didn't work directly for Disney, but just everyone in that industry is very dedicated to doing good work and producing quality, quality content mm -hmm. and quality, um, productions and shout out to all my former co-workers uh, they were some of the the most dedicated incredibly talented artists yeah. and incredibly creative and some of them have like really gone on to do some really awesome stuff and um yeah. i always highly recommend them to anyone who who is looking for artists because they were just all really incredible um and also you know i would echo the storytelling getting to be a part of telling some incredible stories was really really awesome and you know no no not knocking what i do now i love what i do now but it there's nothing quite like being part of this the disney storytelling yeah um that that being said uh for all you young buddy imagineers out there people want to become imagineers and whatnot the biggest thing that the biggest thing that imagineers don't don't do is um that value themselves or, or 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 value themselves correctly so many of them are like like oh i'll do this for free or like you know this and that yeah and um it's a hard lesson to learn to learn how to price yourself correctly and how to know how to set your rates yeah and know what you're worth because you're worth a lot and you know i hate to see anyone who's extremely yeah. talented not thinking that they're worth what they are and um, and, and a bit and, a, and a, the hard part is like a big company like disney will definitely use you for every single ounce of talent that you have. And so you want to make sure that you are, um, one, that you're dedicated to it, but also that like Disney, like it's a symbiotic relationship, you know, you, you know, Disney's providing for you, but they're also, but you're also providing something very unique for Disney, which is your talent. And, um, I just like, like I said, the, the, the talented people there, it, it is just nuts. The, the peanuts that some of them literally, would work for um, to create some of the world's most amazing attractions. And um, also, I guess the last thing I would say about what I did that I think sets it apart from anything else I've done, there's something very rewarding about tangibly making something with your hands that you then can see having a impact on a person's enjoyable experience. Having purpose? Yeah. yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, I love doing graphic design. I really do. Um, it's very rewarding, but it, this was rewarding in a different way, in a way that um, you could truly see the impact of every little thing you put into it, creating the, that atmosphere for the guests. Yeah, unless the lines are really long and it's really, really hot and you're <laughs> up. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> the classic. <laughs> Yeah, so do you have any other questions or things or for now i think we are good um we might have to bring you back to talk about some other projects in the future um because i know we talked <laughs> so much about pandora but that's of course what i wanted to focus on so um but yeah adam rebecca thank you so much for your time and all this information and all these stories i know that everybody listening is probably just loving what they're hearing and is going to be going back to especially Pandora and finding all these details, at least I hope they will, and uh, and pointing them out. So, um, yes, yeah, so thanks to both of you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah. us.
And with that, we close out episode 97, our two-part discussion of Imagineering Pandora, the world of Avatar. I want to give a very special thanks once again to Adam and Rebecca for lending their time and so many stories about working on this incredible land. It's certainly one of my favorites at Walt Disney World since it opened. Flight of Passage in particular has been one of my favorite attractions. Satuli Canteen, my favorite quick service location at all of Walt Disney World. I mean, I am a huge fan of this part of Disney's Animal Kingdom, and I'm so grateful to Adam and Rebecca for lending their time and sharing all these incredible stories. Of course, I want to turn that conversation over to you and hear your favorite part of our discussion. What detail in particular was the most interesting to you or the most inspiring, uh, perhaps uh, something that taught you something new, whatever it might be. I want to hear what excited you the most about our discussion. You can reach out to me and send me your answers in so many different ways. You can, of course, reach out to me in a direct message or tag me in a post or in your story on Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Imagineer Podcast, on Twitter at Imagineer News, or even in our Facebook group to talk about the subject with other members of our listener community over at the Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community. And of course, you could send me an email at ImagineerPodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button, whether you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, or any other podcast app. That'll ensure that you're the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. If you have 30 seconds to leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store in particular, that does so much to help our podcast out. It certainly encourages others to listen to our podcast if uh, they're searching for anything Disney-related in Apple Podcasts, and I'm so grateful to the more than 400-plus of you who uh, who have left us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. I am so grateful. I do read each and every review that I get. We'll sometimes share them out to my Instagram or Facebook stories. And in any case, I'm just so grateful because I know that your word is such an important thing. And for you to uh, to say such kind things about Imagine Your Podcast is truly something that I so deeply appreciate and am thankful for. Uh, plus, if you'd like to take your love of Imagineer podcast to the next level, I would encourage you to check out the Imagineer Society over at patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, to learn how you can help to support the show financially. It helps us to pay for all of our show-related expenses. In return for that, you get perks and benefits at every level of membership. The more you're able to contribute, of course, the more you get in return, but you can get things like early access to every podcast episode bonus podcast episodes, private Facebook group, virtual monthly events, and so much more. You can learn more about all the current perks and benefits which are subject to change over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Of course, the best thing you can do for the show, though, is very simple, and that's just to share the word of Imagineer Podcast. Whether you talk about it with your friends or share it out on Imagineer Podcast, uh, Instagram, Facebook, or it, whatever you can do to spread the word of Imagineer Podcast certainly does so much to help this community out. And I'm so grateful to all of you who continue to support the show in any way that you can. I would also encourage you to check out our partners. First, check out The Kingdom Insider over at thekingdominsider.com and The Kingdom Insider on all social media channels to get the latest news and updates about all things Disney, including what's happening at the Disney parks and resorts, 
uh, what's happening with the Walt Disney Company and what's to come. They cover everything in the present and the future with a little bit of the past. And as I say, it kind of balances me out because I discuss a lot of the past and the present with a little bit of the future. Um, so it's a nice little uh, power combo if you're looking for truly all things Disney. And the next time you're ready to book a vacation to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, or any other Disney destination, look into our travel partner, Academy Travel. They are diamond earmarked, the highest level of distinction that Disney awards travel agencies because they can offer an incredible amount of service, take out all the guesswork for planning your next Disney vacation, and they do it at no additional cost to you. In fact, they can even help to save you money on your next Disney vacation, so it's truly a win-win. You can request a free quote from them, no obligation to uh, to take it any further than that, by clicking on any of the links in the show notes below to get to those free quote forms, or even simpler, just go to imagineerpodcast.com, click on the travel drop-down, and then select your destination. That'll take you right to the same page, and just fill out that form, and again, they will get back to you as soon as possible with that free quote, no obligation to take it any further from there. Last but not least, I want to encourage you, as always, to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever they might be, whether it's getting into Walt Disney Imagineering or something entirely different. Just take that first step today, the hardest step, the most important step. And once you get past that, it's all about doing the work and doing what you love, enjoying the journey to your destination. Remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Let's go!